Hey guys, welcome to Just the Basics. I'm your host, Tommy Bowles. And I'm Matt Shaw. We bring you the beat once a week. This week, we're going to talk about our... Each of us made a list of our top three... Well, I shouldn't say top three, but three songs from the 1920s that we think you should know if you don't already. Mm-hmm. The 1920s is one era of music that I feel like most people get completely wrong. Yeah. They, like, we've played, I don't know, we probably played half a dozen gigs where they're like, oh, it's Great Gatsby themed, we want 1920s music, stuff like Frank Sinatra. And we're, like, looking at each other like, so you want 50s music. (laughs) (laughs) The 40s and 50s, you don't want 20s. And they're like, no, we want 20s. It's like, well, then you don't want Frank Sinatra. You have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But, of course, I wouldn't actually tell that to the the client. Well, I guess it would depend on who it was. True. Uh, Some people I would tell that to, but. Um, so we made up our list of our three each that we think you should know. Mm-hmm. The the funny thing, um, Matt and I were talking last night, we were trying to make these lists and they were a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I usually, when I think of the twenties, I think of like, there's some notable stuff, but for the most part, it's stuff that I don't remember or I'm like, I'm okay with or whatever, but now I'm just fearful for when we move forward into uh, other decades, because if uh, this one was this difficult, then it's going to be a pain in the butt to uh, narrow things down for the yeah. 30s and 40s and so on. Because I tend to think of the 20s as when things were just getting started, but that doesn't mean that it has the uh, the most right, right. of uh, jazz standards, uh, expansive repertoire. There's still a ton of amazing songs during that period, though, and I'm sure from everything that I looked at that I didn't even uh, break through the first level of everything that was released back then. I was just trying, I was trying to keep myself away from really big lists that had everything from back then because I didn't want to go crazy. But I think that this is pretty accurate to what I'd want. Yeah, I, I felt the same way about my list too. When I was going through, because what I did is I just searched songs in the 1920s and or songs that were written in the 1920s, I'm looking through them. And I forgot how much of the jazz world we took from older older music, like Bye Bye Blackbird mm-hmm. that Miles Davis made famous. Yep. That was written in the 20s, but he didn't make it famous until 1967, I think. Something like that, 67, 69, somewhere around there. I wouldn't know. I'm terrible with dates. <laughs> yeah, it, it was something like that. His version is much better than the original. The original melody is stupid. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I... And I mean that. I will be brutal about it. It's a stupid melody. <laughs> he made it so much better. It sounds incredible the way he played it. Well, he made it modal. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just very, 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 very simple. Like, there's no life in it when you play it straight. You have to spice it up the way that he did. Um, otherwise, it sounds like a kid's, kid's song. And no offense to whoever right. wrote it and rest in peace, but it didn't sound good. <laughs> well, I... I feel like that a lot from a lot of 1920s music. I feel like they're kind of, they're corny compared to what we listen to now. Sure. A little. The, the harmony is, you know, it's definitely, let's outline the chord straight away just the way it was written and not do anything outside of the box. But some of those songs, like the ones we're going to talk about, are perfect because of that. It just makes them that much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how many of those songs were written for show tunes and then jazz musicians later adapted them yeah that's um a ton of standards yeah so like i remember 
we kind of talked about this a little bit, Matt, but that 1920s gig that we played that was real 1920s. I remember having such a hard time making that list, that set list for that. Yeah. But then I'm looking through these lists and I'm like, these songs are all so great. Why did we have such a hard time finding songs that we liked? Well, it's <laughs> like I said last night, the, um, the, the problem with that one was singers that didn't have enough time to learn a, uh, a huge set list for multiple hours of playing. And um, one could point fingers if they want, but I can understand that if you want to have your music all memorized and not have anything in front of you, then for a singer, I can see how that would be a little intimidating to just be like, okay, let's learn a decade's worth of hits and just remember it all for one night for like a, you know, just a college yeah. college singer that's just starting out their, um, their jazz career themselves. So makes sense. Right. Yeah, what we ended up doing a lot of, I remember that night, we ended up playing a lot of, because um, we had Andy Benton that night, and we had him play a lot of trumpet stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we did a, I know that we kind of mixed it up a little bit and just tried to make everything in the style, the uh, the New Orleans Dixieland swing style of the 20s, um, even though the songs weren't necessarily from the 20s, which of course is a really good way to fill out a set list if you have the issue that we had but um right well we didn't exactly have the right um instrumentation for that either that's true for too much of a dixieland thing like we didn't have a clarinet or a banjo or anything like that yeah there's actually a local band here called uh joe bruno's dixieland hot dogs (laughs) and i've seen them play once or twice that's nice and they're they're not bad they they um play a bunch of real dixieland style music so I thought it was funny this last time that I saw them is at a uh, barbecue joint in town called Stottlemyers. And so I show up and I'm waiting for it to start and everything. And the um, look over and the bass player, I've met him. I've talked to him several times and he walks out with his seven string electric bass. I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know why he brought that. That's his favorite bass. He plays that on most gigs. But like he has this really cool cigar box bass. It's, it's like an upright bass, but like a cigar box body. Huh. It is so cool. I'm like, that would have been perfect for this. But instead he brought this seven string electric. Big hands, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it partially was to do with the sound system that they had there. Because mm, that makes sense. The uh, yeah, the cigar box would have been a lot harder to amplify through that room. It wasn't even a room. It was an outdoor gig. So I think he just thought it would be easier, which is, he's right, that would have been easier. Because then you don't have to worry about feedback and all that stuff. But still, I was like, come on, man. <laughs> he has yeah. such a great tool in the workshop, and he didn't pull it out. But whatever. So my yeah. list and Matt's list, too, we, don't, we didn't really do like the Dixieland stuff as much, just because this is our list and we can make it how we want to. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean... and. um the Dixieland stuff is good, but it's not my favorite. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it has its own merit, and it has things about it that are super important to the rest of jazz. It's something that every musician, every jazz musician especially, should know and should be familiar with, but I don't think nowadays that you really need to know those songs, like note for note sort of thing. Yeah. Where yeah, the yeah. songs that we picked are ones that are still played today. Yeah, and and you mm-hmm. should know the difference between Dixieland and New Orleans because they are very similar, but there's uh, just the tiniest bit of flavor 
of difference to it. Um, a lot of the time, yeah. one giveaway is New Orleans has a heavier emphasis on beat four, which you don't always hear, but it's a dead giveaway when you do hear it. Um, Dixieland, I, yeah, so it, it and, feels um, kind of straighter. I it's it's such a hard nuance to really pinpoint it, but say, at the so same you time, Dixieland feels straighter. Yeah, yeah, it feels a bit straighter, and it you can hear the difference if you play them side by side. But all the ingredients are very similar, and yet, yeah, you can still hear that there's a difference. And I, I personally prefer the New Orleans sound, um, even though they are like blood brothers in tradition and approach and all this stuff. I don't know why. It's just the way that my ear prefers it. Well, I was going to say the Dixieland style is square compared to New Orleans, which is exactly yeah. how you put it, too, pretty much. The New Orleans, I think, has more emphasis on improvisation than Dixieland does. Yeah, I think so. I think Dixieland is a little more orchestrated and organized and takes a little bit of the life out of it. Yeah, and Dixieland, really, I mean, there was one big band that did Dixieland, the original Dixieland jazz band, mm -hmm. but there wasn't a whole lot else that did real Dixieland. The rest of it was more of that New Orleans style. Hit beat four pretty hard, have a tuba, make animal <laughs> sounds, but still swing it. <laughs> Livery stable blues with those animal sounds. <laughs> that is a fun song. It is, it is. It's fun music. It definitely makes me smile every time I hear it, but it's not something oh, sure. that I'm going to yeah. sit to and listen on my way to work you know i'm not going to transcribe I, it and play it for my students or anything <clears throat> yeah it's 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 fun but it's not that fun <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's highly right, educational. Well, on the list <laughs> yeah exactly more of an academic educational thing at this point it's not something that you're really gonna unless you're playing in a dixieland band like what these guys do you're really not gonna play it much and these guys just do it for fun. Like their banjo player is in the um, banjo hall of fame. Oh wow, that's awesome! I, yeah, I didn't even know there was a banjo hall of fame. I mean, I didn't know until... it either, but good for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's all—they're all older guys that just kind of—that's what they listen to more than like what you and I listened to. Mm. Um, like their trumpet player, who is Joe Bruno Senior. He um he basically kind of sits there and calls the shots as it goes, but he, I guess the way I would describe watching him would be similar to watching Miles walk around on the stage without playing his instrument for like half the gig. <laughs> Later, Miles. <laughs> yeah, he did do that. <laughs> he did that a lot. Like he'd walk around and point at people and be like, "Yeah, yeah," and you know whatever. But he didn't uh, didn't play as much. Watching That's late what Miles I would... is my favorite. <laughs> he could get away. Yeah, with it's anything. hilarious. He could like watching those interviews with him and Marcus. And Marcus Miller was like, "Oh no, Marcus Miller was so scared mad. of him. It was so funny. <laughs> I know. He was terrified. He didn't want to upset him." Well, Marcus Miller was only like twenty or twenty-one in that interview. Yeah, I know. The dude was and super young. Miles is just kind of fumbling around like the stage doing what he wants, and Marcus is just like, "Don't kill me! Don't kill me! Don't box me!" <laughs> yeah, like, he's like, "I don't want to make you mad." <laughs> yeah, like, Miles wow. had a temper. Yeah, he did. But watching this guy, Joe Sr., do that was play was kind of similar, except he played more because um, he played every song, but he called all the shots and he, he would call the solos. He's like, all right, you play, you play, you play. And sometimes he took one, sometimes he didn't. He didn't really, but he just sat there the whole time. And so they were pretty, you know, pretty reserved and everything. So 
but I don't think really anybody that plays that style of music is going to be more exciting at this point because they're probably all older like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's probably true. So, all right, on to the list. All right, I'm going to have you start, Matt. So you give your, your well, we're going to do every other one. So you'll do one and then I'll do one. All righty. Um, and before I talk too much, sorry, listeners, I have a cold that I caught. So if my voice sounds a little crappy, that's why. Uh, I'm not uh, giving into a smoking addiction or anything like that. I'm just dying. Um, so the first song that I wanted to talk about from the lovely 1920s, specifically 1929, is Fat Swaller's Honeysuckle Rose. Um, it's also by Andy Ray. Oh my, uh, Razaf, Razaf. Oh dear. Uh, Fat Swallow did most of the work. <laughs> I think Andy uh, Razif, Razaf, whatever, um, wrote the lyrics uh, later because it was originally just a, uh, you know, a melody. That's Waller played uh, stride piano. He's, um, he was an incredible player, one of the absolute yeah, best. Um, if you need, and the so- dude could sing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he had a he had a great voice. If if you need a little bit of a education on solo piano, oof. Fats Waller is a spot to go to for um, playing that will always make you smile. It'll always make you feel like you need to move. Um, like it, it, the joint will be jumping, as he would say. Um, uh. He he swung harder than so many uh, musicians can even dream to. Uh, his voice was it. It's so mellow and sweet sounding and you can hear how like happy he is to be singing it like you can hear his little uh smiley smirk with a bit of a um a playful sarcasm to to it mm-hmm. um which i feel like uh with a singer that's one of the most important uh pieces to defining yourself as a musician is like being right. able to express your personality and your feelings and uh who you are within your your voice and um any of your playing right and uh of course that goes for you know instrumentalists too but uh Fats Waller's just he he deserved to be uh <laughs> paid to play for Al Capone personally <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> Which which yeah, yeah. apparently did happen. That is a historical thing that he was um, kidnapped after a gig to be taken to Al Capone to play for him personally, and he thought he was going to die, but uh, he was fine. He was just loved by was, all, um, and everyone wanted to hear him. Was Fats Waller also the guy who uh, supposedly wrote like 800 songs that he sold at a bar because he ran out of money? Or was that another oh. one of those early guys? I I feel like you're right. That that sounds I think it was correct, him. but I'm also not sure. So uh, take it with a grain of salt, listeners. But that sounds right. That sounds like something he did. Yeah, I think that was him. It was either him or maybe it was Fats Domino. I think it was Fats Waller maybe. though, because he was the one who was known as a composer. Yeah, Fats Waller wrote a ton. So even if it wasn't him, he still wrote a whole fat bunch. So re- really, yeah, like did. Honeysuckle Rose kind of comes with the caveat of like everything that Fats Waller did. Um, if you want to learn a lot on music that'll make you smile and a killer piano player, 
there you go. Just everything that he did. Um, I think we, uh, I don't know if it was from the twenties, but I know that we, uh, mentioned last night, the song, your feet's too big. That song. No, that was in like 1938, I think, or 36. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, maybe we'll mention it, but it deserves a mention. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. (laughs) It's, it's hilarious. You guys got to listen to that. (laughs) <laughs> that, that that's a real good one that, that uh mixes up uh what sound production i guess it, just check it out it's really fun but anyway so honeysuckle rose um i guess it doesn't really I, we always played it in f so that's what we would talk about it as uh yeah mostly it uh it hovers around playing in f but it certainly will go out of its way to mix you up if you don't actually pay attention to what's going on because well especially in the bridge yes yeah it goes to b flat it goes to c back to f let's see what else is there um, i think it goes to e flat too before it goes back to f i to think e flat. maybe i'm wrong i mean maybe i'm you... mixing up with something else no, no. Like um, at at the end of the B section where it does da 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 da. Wow, my voice is off. Today. Um, the <laughs> the uh, C D C D E flat. Technically, you could play E flat over that part, but you're playing over. I guess C7. or C minor. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it uh, even though the chord doesn't actually go to E flat at all, you could play it. That's fine. Um, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, you could also do. Nef dominated. No wonder my solos really. over that song were so hip. I didn't know the chord progression. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those though that you can you can mess with it. It's just it's a some of my favorite standards are are songs that you can just break all the rules and it'll sound awesome. Like uh, mm-hmm. it just lets you yeah. go as far outside of the box as you want, and then you can slip right back inside and um and stick to playing an F. Like, uh, if you want to whip out a uh, a little A flat thing in there, go ahead. You can do what you want in this song. It's it's gonna sound awesome. Um, I mean, the end of the uh, uh I'm sorry. <laughs> the end of the A section has a bit of a uh, a. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm blanking. Half steps going down. Help! Help! Chromatic. Thank you. Okay, a, a chromatic <laughs> oh, walk down uh, from B flat to A to A flat, and um, that's all heading back to the G minor um, that starts the song because it goes G minor C, G minor C. I'm not talking the extensions because owie my voice. Um, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. which is part of uh, what kind of keeps the song moving forward forever is it doesn't land on the uh, the F until the end of the song. I mean, sure, it does in, like, the end of phrases, but it quickly moves. Like, in the A section, after G minor C, G minor C, G minor four beats, C minor four beats, it lands at F, but it immediately turns the F into an F7, changing it to B flat. Mm-hmm. So it's it says, oh, you think we were landing an F there? Nah. Here you go. Keep moving forward. <laughs> we're not stopping today. We're just gonna keep on dancing. And, um... Yeah. At- Which is part of what makes that song so good. It just, it doesn't doesn't stop it just has so much forward momentum mm-hmm. you can play it forever which is what these guys did yeah you yeah sit down you'd play a song and you keep playing as long as people kept dancing like anytime we played a swing gig oh man if people were still dancing we kept going 
it was great. We'd play a 10 or 15 minute long song sometimes just because people wouldn't stop dancing. And it's a song that feels really good if you play it really slow. And it also feels really good if you play it really hot and fast. Um, yeah, I prefer it to be quick personally. But Oh, yeah, I think it's a really fun song that's fast. But if you play it slow, it still feels good. And I think that's the sign of a really good standard of um, mm-hmm. um, and really good writing that you can do pretty much whatever you want to it. And it's going to feel good unless you play it badly. Right obviously but no that's one song though we pretty much always play as a swing tune i don't think Mm -hmm. we've ever played that any other way yeah i i know that we most certainly could i wouldn't mind uh at some some point using it and like taking it as a bossa or something and just experimenting with it in different ways and like recording that but as far as a gig goes i'm gonna swing it all day long (laughs) it swings too hard it swings so hard it'd be like it'd be kind of cool. It'd be kind of interesting to play like a bossa over the head and then swing the solos. Ooh, that would be cool. That'd be kind of interesting. Or to swing every other solo. So swing a solo, then bossa a solo. Especially if you have like two horns and a guitar or something like that, so you could swap it up. Like if you had a trumpet, to have a trumpet play over a bossa solo on that, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, hearing it in my head, it definitely could work as a Latin, but uh, that'd be really cool. It just is so good as a swing tune mm-hmm. that and, I don't um, even want to change it. <laughs> so I, part of the reason that this was one of my favorites is uh, all the memories of us playing it back in college mm-hmm. between uh, playing it with Round Jericho, the uh, Liberties premiere jazz combo, da, 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 and we played it a lot with them. And um, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we played it. For me, uh, well, I played it for my uh, junior recital because I loved it. Yeah, and, you played um, How High the Moon for the other one, I think. Yeah. Yep. I played How High the Moon and a couple others, but not Angel Eyes, I think, and something else. But it, I can't mm, remember. Angel Eyes. Angel Eyes is a good one. I love that um, song. Anyways, that's it, a sidetrack. That's nothing to do with <laughs> Yeah. We played it a lot as closed at four. Um, one of the, uh, one of the gigs that I remember playing it is, uh, when we were at the farmer's market, um, in the middle of the summer and playing outside in that pavilion. And there were all those people there and we played it faster than I think we've ever played it since or before that. Um, yeah, we have a, I still have the recording of that somewhere on There was another song that day that Tanner countered off, and I looked at you, and I was like, what? What? I can't remember what song it was. I think it it was was Cottontail. um, Cottontail was like Cottontail, yeah. It was deadly. I was ready for it. I wanted it fast, but uh, when when he started playing it, both of you were just kind of like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Yeah. Well, he started it off, and I'm like, what was he thinking, you know? Like, the drummer started off faster than he could play it. I don't know. He had to have counted it off at between 3 and 3.50. It had to be. I mean, Cottontail is a really fast tune, hence the name, but it that that was quick. That was quick for Cottontail. Yeah. And oh, it was man, fun, I though. I was hanging I, on for dear life. I'm really glad that I was ready to play that because it, it, uh, it could have tripped me up, but it lays perfectly on guitar, which is also right. why I like Honeysuckle Rose because it lays so it lays well so under nice. your fingers yeah. that you can play it at light speed 
the greatest ease. And it can look acrobatic, but it is so doggone easy on a guitar. Um, Especially I'm not the B sure section. Really bum, why. Bum, bum, bum. Da, 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 da. Not yeah, a lot yeah, yeah, of yeah. work on the B section. Yeah, you don't have to do much there, but just the uh, the 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 A section. Da, 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 that that stuff that just goes right under your fingers, easy as could be, minimal effort. Um, it doesn't really require you to move anywhere. It's a very simple uh, uh, laying under your fingers, but that's that's part of the reason that it's enjoyable. Is like pretty much after the first time you play it, you'll never forget it. You can probably memorize the whole song after one run through, melodically at least. Yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot. Um, and that it's that a... that that is not a negative thing about it. That just means it's that memorable and, um, and that comfortable for a musician yeah. to play. Well, and here's the other thing too. Like with jazz stuff, you know, the head has to be interesting, but it doesn't have to be complex. Right. Because all the complexity is going to come out in the solo section. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having a simple head is actually probably pretty great because you're going to have somebody up there like a, um, like a Coltrane type of player who's going to just shred over it and it's going to make no sense. It's going to be amazing yet terrifying at the same time. And if the melody was just as complex as the solos are going to be, it would be like overwhelming and it wouldn't be a good song. Right. Having a well-defined head, I think, is very important um, for And by the head, composer. for listeners that don't know, that's just the melody of the song. Yeah. yeah. The form from beginning to end of the, the melody and then switching to the solo section. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of these earlier songs, like they have a pretty straightforward melody, uh, nothing too crazy. By the time you get to like bebop and... Um, Charlie Parker's stuff and uh, Fusion, they started to uh, write more. Uh, the heads got really complex and difficult, and uh, mm -hmm. some of them for, are fantastic, but I mean, you know that as far as I'm concerned, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Charlie Parker's melodies. I love his playing, but as far as the melodies go, I can barely ever actually find anything memorable in them, so I'm not a huge fan. Um, of the writing, so like ornithology and stuff like that, um, uh, anthropology. There's another ology. I'm I'm really a doxology. No, he didn't write that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's very different. <laughs> do, 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 do. Um, oh my god, that's more that's memorable hilarious. than a Charlie Parker tune. Um, <laughs> hmm. Anyway, there there are parts of his stuff that are like Scrapple. Scrapple to the apple or Scrapple from the apple? Which one is it? Uh, scrapple from the apple. Scrapple from the apple. That that one's really fun. But anywho, I'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, Honeysuckle Rose, apparently our singer from back in the day, thought that that was my song. That that was... She, she used to say that that, that, that that was my... I don't know why. That was my song. Yeah, apparently. she wouldn't sing it. No, no, because it was my song. <laughs> I was like, you could still sing it. <laughs> It's fine. Yeah. I don't yeah, know what about so it made it my song. Maybe like maybe I just sounded really good playing it. I could play it much better today than I could back then. But uh, I don't know. For some reason, it was uh, I think it was just an excuse not to have to sing another song. <laughs> yeah, well. That's, probably. You're probably right on that one. Um, 
Because <laughs> I don't, I don't know that, any but... other other reason why. I mean, there's there's so much you can do with this tune. Uh, one of the coolest things that we did in uh, Round Jericho, which is uh, you you typically hear it in uh, a lot of recordings, is towards the end when you play the A section's melody, um, you raise it by a whole step, a half step, half step. Normally a half step, but you can do a whole step. I think the I think Round Jericho did a whole step or something, but um, I can't remember specifically. I I just do what I feel like in the moment. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a whole step, sometimes it's a minor third, whatever. I just mess with it at the ending. It sounds cool. Um, as long as everybody else does the same thing, though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's super important. It might have been a half step in Round Jericho, but honestly, my my brain's ear can't remember. But um, I wanted to give a a little shout out mention to a couple of recordings of uh honeysuckle rose that you can look up on spotify that um that i love because you can find a ton of a of performances of honeysuckle rose including our own um <laughs> but uh the first that i would mention would uh would be django reinhardt's um that that gives you a very straight there it is. Obviously, Fats Waller, he wrote it, so listen to his version. Um, mm-hmm. Thelonious Monk, I love him playing it because he does not play it, quote-unquote, properly. It is really dissonant, it hurts your ears, and it sounds amazing. <laughs> it is so mm-hmm. good, and um, I love the way that he plays it. Um, Ella Fitzgerald sang it with uh, Count Basie, and... I don't want to say his whole band. I think it was just uh, like a quartet or something. I can't remember how many instruments there were, but small, small group. That that version, wonderful. You can watch that on YouTube. Uh, it is on on Spotify, but uh, I would look up the video for it because it it's adorable. The how flirty they are on the stage as they're playing it and Ella's singing it. That uh, anything that Ella sings always sounds amazing and. Um, she sings this one extremely well. Count Basie tickling the keys of of, uh, of the ivory. It's it it's a good one. It's awesome. And then um, Benny Goodman featuring Charlie Christian on guitar. That that's an awesome version of it as well. It's um, there are a couple of versions on it on Spotify. So if you click one and the recording sounds really like old sounding, uh, try the other version it's much clearer and even though it might not have like that record the little record hum under it that i i kind of like you can hear things happening a little clearer i guess it's a remastered version or something like that but um still the same stuff being played it's good and i love charlie christian he's he's a beast (laughs) yeah well i'm actually going to talk about him again later on so (laughs) All right, your turn. All right, so the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, Softly as in a Morning Sunrise. Yes! I love that song. It's so pretty. Um, It was originally written by Sigmund Romberg and Oscar Hammerstein for a night, an operetta called The New Moon, which was released in 1928. Okay. Which, that part has nothing to do with jazz. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> Good to know. Um, yeah, I had no idea that that was actually 
um, written for an opera like that, but it's kind of cool. But it's been covered by everybody. I mean, George Benson, Kenny Barron, um, Ron Carter, Sonny Clark, John Coltrane, Bing Crosby, Bobby Darren, Miles Davis, Stan Getz, Freddie Hubbard, J.J. Johnson, Alice Marsalis, the Modern Jazz Quartet, Diana Reeves, Sonny Rollins, Artie Shaw. You can just keep going and you'll find... Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Dave Weckl played it in 1990. Hmm. Um, it's been played by everybody it's such a good song i liked that uh george um, benson version that you um sent me last night oh yeah that was, that awesome. was nice it's so nice that was definitely the george benson version is definitely like a smooth jazz version of it mm-hmm. yeah i love um, what he does with with standards because he always tries to take a uh a, a unique take to his arrangements um he's a he's a nice one to listen to for yeah taking a different approach to uh stuff that's been done you know the like the same swing way and there's nothing wrong with that but I, he does seem to try to push the boundary a little bit in arranging to do something new he does and he just makes it so interesting yeah he's a very good um, player yeah he is now i didn't come prepared with an analysis of the song like you did <laughs> <laughs> um that song i mean we haven't really played that song in any of our groups i don't think i don't recall i think uh if I remember right, I could be wrong though. It could be something else that has to do with sunrise or a sunset, sweet dream, whatever. Um, could have been our love is here to stay for all I remember. But I do remember one time we were playing a gig uh, as Round Jericho at the top of a uh, the library, I believe, of at Liberty, and you know one of the bajillion little luncheon banquet. Oh things. yeah, and I've got the picture from that as like my cover photo. Oh, oh, yeah. And one of those times, Andy played that song um, on the trumpet, I believe, played. He might have sung it, too. Is either um, that, him it might have been on Ant. the sunny side of the street. No. I can't remember. We've played we did so do many that. songs. We did do that song, but it was definitely more of a uh, um, a slow ballad feel. And I remember everyone in the room was silent just listening to it and it that was truly an honor to play along to i don't remember if it was if it was that song or if it was uh another similar tune it sounds right though i do think that's what it was and it was that was a magical one because i mean it wasn't like it was nine o'clock at night and everyone's at a bar and just having a time just listening to music no it was 11 30 a.m and everyone's there and hungry for a sandwich. And nope, they're listening to uh, a gorgeous performance. The, uh, one of the most amazing. Yeah, it's such a beautiful song. Yeah. Um, and that's one, I mean, it's normally done more of as a ballad. Yeah. Um, so the, the lyrics on that one um, are, Softly as in a morning sunrise, the light, of love, the light of love comes stealing into a newborn day. Flaming with all the glow of sunrise, a burning kiss is sealing a vow that I'll betray. The passions that thrill love and take you high to heaven are the passions that kill love and let it fall to hell, so ends the story. Softly as in a morning sunrise, the light that gave you glory will take it all away. Dang. And it keeps going, there's more to it. But it's such a pretty song. Like, that's one of the things that I love about these songs written in the 20s and 30s and 40s is you can listen to the, you can just read the lyrics and just be like, wow, that's such a 
like that has such meaning behind it, you know? Mm. Where a lot of modern songs, you listen to the lyrics or you read the lyrics and you're like, okay, it says the same thing half a dozen times and that same thing that it says over and over again doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> or it's but so like basic that, that it doesn't matter. Yeah, or it just is so like garbagely written. Like th- that's just a beautiful piece of poetry on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you could just put that up on the wall, just the lyrics on the wall, and it would just stand out on its own and it would just be beautiful. It doesn't even have to have a song attached to it. Stick it on a piece of wood you, and um with a little bit of a flowy cursive font and uh in white yeah, lettering exactly. and every white girl in um every city will put it on their wall. That's funny. I was actually going to say, I feel like it's something that your wife might do. Yeah, she'd, <laughs> she'd love it. She would. And it, it would just be so pretty. And it's such a great meaning behind it. But you get, I, I don't know, it's just really special. And, but it's also a song like we were talking about with Honeysuckle Rose, where you can play it fast and it sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You need to listen to um, Jeff Berlin play it. So they, there's this thing on YouTube called Studio Sessions where they get all sorts of pro musicians from all sorts of different fields, like Jeff Berlin, who's a renowned jazz bass player and educator. Um, Victor Wooten's been on it. Nathan East has been on it. You get piano players from all over the place. And most of the time, they're not all jazz guys at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so they did this, and then they called, um, excuse me, they called uh, Softly as in a Morning Sunrise. And they played it not fast, but Faster than I'm used to hearing it. Up tempo. Um, I can't remember about how fast it was. It was probably right about there. So it's not like blazing fast, but it's a lot faster than how you normally hear it. Right. Bum bum ba da 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 bum bum. It was just, it was awesome. So, and then Jeff Berlin uses a, a chorus effect on his bass, which. I think it would have been better to use an octave effect in a chorus, personally, but he he really likes the chorus sound. But it is such a cool, it's such a cool song. It I don't know, and I don't really have any like most of the songs that we picked, we had picked them because we had some sort of sentimental memory attached to it. This one I don't have one, um, except every time I hear the song, it makes me smile, and I feel like that's enough right there to make it a great song. If it makes you smile when you hear it. It makes you happy, then it's a great song. Great. So, I would say, yeah, it's it's just one that you should listen to. As far as other recordings of it, I mean, Coltrane played it. If Coltrane played it, that's going to be a very different version. Um, Milt Jackson even did it. Like that's Milt Jackson's a pretty cool cat. You need to listen to him if you don't if you haven't already. So there are just there are hundreds of recordings of this that you could listen to kind of like honeysuckle rose where it's just been done over and over and over again but it deserves it it's so great so that's uh that's my first one on this list Alrighty. um uh which one do i want to do next i will do sweet georgia brown it was by mm. Ben Burney, 1925. Um, he had a name of who he played it with, except I got rid of it. It was something like a hotel orchestra or something. Um, <laughs> I just I just thought it looked like a funny name for for a uh, for a band, but um, 
I'd read a thing online about it because I didn't really have a any memory of the history behind the song necessarily, and there wasn't anything you know that special about it. It was mostly just saying how a lot of songs from this era um, played by these New Orleans bands or Dixieland bands, kind of like we mentioned earlier, they kind of died off. The um, they didn't uh, last the the mm-hmm. time they. Uh, all the big names that would be playing jazz for years to come, they would kind of ignore a lot of these tunes, or if they did pick them up, they'd put such a twist on them that it was nothing like the original from that period. But Sweet Georgia Brown, like, it's a fighter. (laughs) It lasted. Everyone recorded it. If you go on Spotify and you type in Sweet Georgia Brown, you will get a bazillion... uh, different recordings of it and they're all really really good like this is this is a very cool song i love the melody because every time i hear it it just gets you bouncing a little bit you could just mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter how fast or slow it is it's just you just can't help but kind of move and and imagine just kind of like Strolling and strutting you, through the uh yeah. the countryside just kind of with a little wiggle in your head too Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, oh, this man. this song fast this is really fun. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good one. <laughs> it is yeah. such a good song. Um, it we've probably played played that a hundred times too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we played this one a lot. It it a uh, I remember the very first time we played this, we were um in Liberty. There's a giant building that uh, depending how old you were, you called it Campus North or Green Hall. Um, I called it North because that's what uh, it yeah. was when I when I started at Liberty. Pretty much everyone else that I hung out with called it Green, but um, uh, I it called was, it North it, Campus. Yeah, yeah, because because you know the right way of saying things. But <laughs> 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 but anyway, we had some gig there that I think was a uh, it was a dance of some sort. I think it was one of those sort of like play twenties music kind of a things. I don't think it was a true offender of that, but I know that's what we did a lot of and. Um, and I get there. Was that and I'm playing one of the it. ones in the um, that big performance hall that they had up there? Yes. Or like the yeah, okay. we were on stage. There was cool played... lighting. They like went all out yeah, yeah. to give us a really cool uh, look. That was one of the more. That was one of the gigs that kind of made me feel like I was so, I was part of something big and yeah. special, and um, we were being respected because a lot of the time we were just kind of tucked in a corner and told to play good music and then go home. <laughs> Yeah, and this one they threw us up on stage, and we were we played several gigs in that event space. Um, this one that you're talking about it was the good one. Mm-hmm. There was one after you were gone that we played. I'll tell that story when you finish talking about this. Oh yeah. Um, so we're we're up there and we're playing all of our all of our set, and then suddenly, uh, I think it was me, you, Cortia uh, uh, Paris on the saxophone, and uh, Robert Nanton on the piano. Um, Andy Benton was probably there, but um, I recall it being us four. I think Andy Benton took a break. Uh, so the four of us were up there. Um, Court might have been on the drums, actually. Actually, I think that's exactly what it was. Court was on the drums, um, which I always loved playing when Court was on the drums. That, 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 was, uh, that was always fun because it was different. He was such an interesting drummer because he was so carefree. Yeah, yep. really good. Yeah, he he kept it steady. Yet he would tr- just try to break the rhythm a little bit with pushing it. 
that was always fun. But anyway, so Sweet Georgia Brown was called. I had never heard the song before. Um, that was early in us uh, all playing together. And uh, I had just become a jazz major not that long before. Well, we all did because we started when it started at Liberty. But anyway, um, <laughs> so Sweet Georgia Brown was we called, called and I was class. like, oh, what's this? And I'm handed a chart. I'm like, all right, I can play that. I'm like, sure, fine. And count it off nice and quick, and it starts going. And I suddenly realized, I was like, oh, this is not an easy uh, sight read no. melody. It is not at all. It, it's a little bit uh, trickier than you expect at a first glance. And um, so the first time through, were you having to play the melody on it? I wasn't like the the melody. It was me and Rob Danton that were playing the melody. Um, oh gosh! And so I started playing it, and after the first line, I was like, ooh. This is this is a bit tricky. So I kind of fudged my way through um the first two lines of it a little bit and then um kind of uh echoed. I did a more of a response thing because I, I, I realized immediately like I need to watch this melody. I need to hear what's happening with it. And um and so <laughs> played a little responses at the end. Probably weren't that good because I wasn't that good of a player back then. And then um kind of played the chords a little bit and looked over the melody, got it ingrained. And then the second time we played it, then I played the melody and I was fine because it's, it's, it's tough if you don't see what's happening, but as soon as you do and you put it under your fingers, then it feels good. It's not that bad, but if you're made to sight read it, it's going to, it's going to surprise you a little. Um, Mm -hmm. It has unexpected twists and turns to it um, because this song follows the circle of fifths um, descending. So in the key that's in front of me, which is F, talking in F a lot today, it starts with a D7. That's not the key of F. That's in G. (laughs) So you see F and you put your hands in position to play in F major. And oops, the very first measure, there's an F sharp. sharp. Oh, it sounds like, (laughs) what on earth? Why did it do this to me? And... um, And then in the next line, oh, now we're in C because we're playing over a G7. And then finally, you play mm-hmm. over a C7. That is actually this an is a F. 63251. What? 3251. Well, if it was D to a G, it'd be 6 to 3. Well, it's a D7. Or not 63251. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. I know what I'm trying to say, but I said it wrong. It, it's literally just it right doing my um, fifths down because it's going from D7 yeah. to G7 to C7 to F. And then from and then it uh, has an A7 at the end of that line at, with a little bit of a turnaround. Then it goes from yeah, A7 yeah. to D7 to G7. And then you have another. Yeah, um, in my head, it made sense, but I'm realizing that I said the wrong thing. <laughs> I get what I get what you were thinking. Um, yeah, that the the very last line has such a catchy chromatic uh riff that goes f e e flat d um so a lot of the time you'll hear groups that perform this go um and uh which is a little catchy thing but it follows along with f e7 e flat 7 d7 and um then it turns around and goes through everything again um it's a very memorable little uh little melody extra catchy um which I I usually don't think of standards as catchy. Um, I think of them mm-hmm. as well written and memorable, but not catchy. Sweet Georgia Brown, it's catchy. That's why it lasted so long, and it um 
when big names recorded it, it would uh, rank pretty high on the charts. Like Bing Crosby did it, and I think it. Uh, I think I read that it was number one, or or at least it was pretty doggone high for several weeks because he did it, and that's a long time after um, this was written and popularized. Um, mm-hmm. So this was this was a song that's a big deal. I also think it has. I know it has something to do with the Harlem Globetrotters, but I'm not a sports person, and um, I'm not sure what it has to do with them, but it seems that it has something in theme songiness or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that stuff, but uh, there you go. If, if you like Harlem Globetrotters, this has something to do with them. <laughs> Interesting. I never knew that part about it. Um, there, I think there's a, there's a recording of someone whistling it, and it's really interesting recording but apparently that has something to do with the globetrotters and hmm. um it like it said globetrotters theme but i don't i don't know i couldn't really find any more information on that that then again i didn't dig that deep because i don't care that much about sports but there you go it has something to do with them there's a little nugget of knowledge for you that's interesting okay huh also, this one is actually kind of easy to solo over because it's a very straightforward changes with those fifth uh, yeah, descending. It's, it's it lets you do a lot. I mean, and because it's a um, it's modulating from key to key, you get a lot of interesting ideas if you follow it properly. Yeah, it doesn't um, stay stagnant. You don't have to superimpose anything because it's all right there. Yeah, and then it's pretty long. It it's it hangs on those chords for quite a while, so you have a lot of space to uh to complete ideas some some standards they change the keys a little quickly like if you're playing giant steps up tempo the reason that that's difficult is because of how quickly it's changing and you can lose track of it quickly right. this one it gives you all the space in the world you can you can do what you want here and harmonically you could probably spice this one up a little bit it's not that necessary but you could right you could do a little yeah. bit more in the 2 5 area because it has that in here, but obviously if it's just D7, G7, C7, there's no two there. Just five. Well, you also could do, um, you could superimpose if you wanted to. Like, so it goes D7 to G7 to C7, you said? Mm-hmm. So what you could do is you could play over D7, then um, you could play over a D flat 7, then do a C7. You could. And superimpose that tritone sub right there. Mm-hmm. That would be, I did that on uh, Scrapple from the Apple, um, because the bridge on that is basically the same chord progression. And so, because it goes A, D, G, C, so I just went A, A flat, G, G flat, F, because it resolves back to F. So I just played chromatically down in the tritone subs like that. So you could do the same thing on there for a more interesting sort of flavor to it. Exactly. You most certainly can. All right. So the next one on the list then is uh, another Fats Waller tune. Ooh. I didn't even realize it until just now that it was another Fats oh, Waller yeah. tune. I know what uh, it is. <laughs> ain't misbehaving. <laughs> so I actually... <laughs> I have some good memories of this song because I did this for my senior recital. Was it the senior recital? Maybe. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think yeah. it was the senior recital and I played it on the upright bass. I forgot about that, but yeah, uh, I'm yeah. 99% sure you did. I think I did this one for my junior, actually. You might have. I can't remember Maybe that Maybe senior. Part. I, I, I played it a lot. I love this song so much. It's such a good song. It's, um, 
it's a pretty straightforward uh, tempo AABA like or uh, uh, form AABA like most things. Um, what I didn't know was this. So I didn't actually, I didn't know this before today, and I don't know how true this is because the source says it needs a citation. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but apparently, Fats Waller wrote the song while he was quote-unquote, lodging in prison for an alimony violation. And that's why he was not misbehaving, because he was sitting around in prison for something that he didn't think was his fault. I recall that story, so I think it's right. It's pretty interesting. That's kind of a cool little thing there. Yeah, because it's I had like no a, idea about that. It's like a, a letter to your loved one. Right. While you're away, not misbehaving, saving your love. Um, obviously it's implying more of like you're away from your uh your lover and you're not gonna fool around while you're away, but there's a there's a double meaning there for for that story's right. sake. Well, I mean though it makes sense that he would have wrote this in prison because he starts up by saying, No one to talk to mm-hmm. all by myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> no one to walk with, but I'm happy on the shelf, ain't misbehaved and I'm saving my love for you. <laughs> you can't and misbehave bridge, much like, when you're locked. <laughs> what you gonna the do? The bridge goes like Jack Horner in the corner. Don't go nowhere. What do I care? Your kisses are worth waiting for. Believe me. I don't stay out till late. Don't care to go. I'm home about eight. Just me and my radio. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It is such a good song. The melody on that is awesome. And um, I don't know. That's just one tune. It's just a ton of fun to play. I I don't know. Um, it's, I, I think it's a lot of fun and the melody on it is just so good, but, and the form is just so solid. It's kind of hard to go wrong with that one. Mm -hmm. And everybody has recorded that. Like that list that I gave you before for the last song, you could probably pull all those names off and find this recording on all of those too. I mean, Louis Armstrong did it. Ella did it. Sarah Vaughn did it. Uh, Django did it. Um, pretty much everybody has played that song. Miles Davis played it. It's just so good. It's so solid. It has such a great melody. And it's another one when you listen to Fats Waller sing it, you can hear the smile on his on his face, you know? Yeah. And I think he has, I think he would have been great at doing musical theater just because of the type of voice that he had. He had so much expression in his voice. Oh, sure. I think he yeah. could have done that amazingly. I, I love that tune. It's a great one. So, and at my recital, I remember playing that for the hearing, and I made a big mistake before the hearing. Uh oh. Because I didn't practice that song before the hearing. That was. Yep. Um, I, do you remember that? I very vaguely <laughs> do, but that is not one so, that you want to take lightly. It will, no. it will surprise you. And I thought, oh, I've played that song before. It'll be easy. And then I get in there for the hearing to play it, and I'm on the upright bass, and I'm like, First of all, I'm not a I'm not primarily an upright bass player, so I'm not as comfortable on the instrument. And it's an A flat. At least we played it in A flat, and I was like, uh, okay. So I go to play it, and I'm like, this is a lot harder than I thought, because I was so concerned about two songs in particular. Um, one of them was a solo electric bass piece that was. Well, I guess there were three that I was really stressing out about. Uh, so two of them were solo pieces. One of them was a Bach tune. And the other one was written by a guy named Aram Petrosian. Um, 
And I was so concerned about those songs. And then I transcribed a Marcus Miller tune, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. So I was so concerned about those three that I put this one on the back burner. I figured, oh, I've played that before. It'll be fine. Until I get there and I'm like, what am I doing? And then afterwards, they were like, yeah, you need, you have to have that tune memorized to play at your recital. I was like, oh, that shouldn't be hard. And then I didn't have it completely memorized at the recital. I thought I did until I went to play it. It was a good thing I had that music stand out there as a backup just in case. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you remember that moment either. That was so embarrassing. I'm like, what's the next note? So I look quick glancing over, you know, I'm, I'm looking to the side and I'm looking back and I'm like, you know, what? what's going on what you know i remember the chords but i couldn't remember the notes of the melody now if you were to have me play it now i would have to look at it again it's been a while since i've touched that song but it's such a fun song one i could play over and over again and be just as happy as fast waller when he was singing it in prison (laughs) yeah i mean if you're playing this slow it it's pretty doggone straightforward like you'll you'll get through it just fine but we always played it up tempo, so at the hot speed that we were probably putting down for it, it's well, it, it it goes by pretty quick. Like you've got, I mean, to play it, you would have to use like hammer-ons and crap like that to get through it because it'll go quick. It's um, it's a peppy I guess little we didn't melody. Play it that fast, and, but for upright mm, bass, we played it fast. Yeah, yeah. And that goes by at um, it might seem simple, and when you're reading it, it's like, oh yeah, that this is like straightforward. I got this, but if you don't actually see it, I mean, it's kind of like most music. But say I put "Bye Bye Blackbird" in front of you, we could do that at 300. You would get through it just fine. No problems whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star on not even the slightest bit of steroids. So um that that would explain why ain't misbehaving um can misbehave under your fingers if you uh aren't careful. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a good tune. If you don't know it, you need to learn it because it's just fun. It's one of those songs that'll just make you smile. I mm-hmm. something about Fats Waller's music just makes me so happy. And his real name is actually Thomas, which I didn't know that till today either. I thought that kind of interesting. Yeah, Thomas, my name's also Thomas. Oh yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, it was a couple of years ago that uh, Bethany and I um, helped out. Uh, my father was a director of nursing for uh, a very, very, very long time, and uh, pretty much all my life growing up. And um, he worked at. And if you don't know what a director of nursing is, that he's a director of nurses in a like a nursing home or retirement community. And so the uh, the place that he worked for, they were having a senior prom. So a prom for the seniors there. And uh, it's a cute (laughs) idea and um, well put together. And uh, and we went in and the there they had a little uh, combo there who uh they were playing the theme was something like uh um princes and princesses or something like that so they were playing like uh some disney songs in uh swung and um and they played ain't misbehaving a couple of times and um one of the dudes there uh gets up out of his wheel wheelchair and is a 
dancing around as much as someone who's probably in their late 80s can dance around and singing it at the top of his lungs and um, dancing with one of the the uh, the nurses or I don't know, event coordinator or whatever. And it, it was adorable. It it you could tell that it meant a lot to this guy and um, and he was having the time of his life. And uh, he had a little sailor, like a captain's sailor hat on. I don't know why, but there you go. There's my story for that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We need to do a podcast where we just talk about our favorite performances that we've done, the favorite places we've played and everything. I think that'd be a good episode. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Maybe we should do that next week because I think we could talk about, there's so many things, so many gig stories that we have that I think are just so cool. Yeah. I It'd be fun. Maybe we should do that. A bunch of them. And which is what? What is interesting? Hmm. I feel like all these are kind of interesting, at least to me. Yeah. Maybe not to everybody else, but I find them interesting. And the way I tell people about music is, you know, if you if if you like the way it sounds, chances are somebody else out there is gonna like it too. Come and sit on our back porch and on a rocking chair. We'll tell you some old stories of how we played. (laughs) I mean, isn't that kind of what podcasts are? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh man! All right. So what's next on our list here? Um, I'm actually going to backtrack because I totally forgot to mention who you should listen to for Sweet Georgia Brown and um, oh. Django again, once again. Um, he played everything. So if if you want to hear something, you can hear Django Reinhardt play. Um, there was a version of this on Spotify by Nat King Cole Trio, and oh my gosh. Um, hmm. You usually think of uh, Nat King Cole as really silky smooth and mellow tempos yeah. and um, taking his time. That man was playing blazing. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, whoa, rhymes. Um, but anyway, check out that, that, uh, that him playing that because it caught me off guard. I was like, oh, this is probably going to be a, a slower rendition of it. Uh, him just singing into the camera. Like he he always did, um, taking his time through it. Nope, 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 nope. It it was a masterful um, uh, play through it. And then the other one is uh, Dave Brubeck trio. Um, mm. That was an interesting uh, version of it that I would highly recommend checking out. I think that King Cole's trio had a guitar player in there too, which um, always makes me biased. So anyway. The next one that I'm talking about is My Blue Heaven by Walter Walter Donaldson and George Whiting. Um, I don't know who did what. I didn't really look into that, but uh, that's from 1927. Uh, this song is pretty doggone straightforward, honestly. Like it, it's an E flat uh, for most of it. That's um, generally the key you even hear it in. Um, I, I don't even know if I've heard it like a different key honestly like every time i've played it i think that it's like exclusively done which there are not a lot of songs that um across the board you usually hear in the same exact key but this is one that i don't know it seems like it's linked um heart and soul Mm -hmm. into e flat but um it does go into a flat it um has a two five and f it um goes back to e flat blah 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 but honestly, like the there's a bunch of songs for this period that I absolutely love, but this one is more uh, a nostalgia song. Um, 
I grew up watch, right. watching MASH every single season so many times through. I've probably seen that show more than I've seen <laughs> most things in my life. Um, well, I, even in college, you'd sit there on with Netflix on watching MASH. Yeah. For yeah. hours. Yep. And <laughs> occasionally I'll, I'll still watch it today. My wife doesn't like it that much. Like, she doesn't mind it, but um, we usually watch new stuff whenever we can and uh, explore for new options. But anyway, um, uh, in that show, there's at least three times that My Blue Heaven is sung. I think it's even more than that. But um, the song is about, like, a, you know, American dream, uh, home happy with your wife and kid and um nice little house kind of a thing uh which written in the 20s that's around the time of the depression and all of that and um so that kind of creates a depressing setting for the song a little bit um right. we're happy in my blue heaven um and uh then in mash like that's a that's a show that's all about the korean war and a lot of the tone in the um in the show even though it's a comedy is kind of uh it there's a bit of a dark underlying emotion to how awful war can be and it taking you uh taking soldiers and other servicemen away from their life and family and the Korean war was a good uh choice for the story just because it it was um it was a war that uh felt pointless to those that were fighting it that's why they a lot of time in the show they call it a police action um because they were over there and getting nothing done and it seemed like it was wasting everyone's time and all of this it wasn't like world war ii where you were fighting to bring down this evil dictator or anything it was right um right. it was like fighting someone else's war kind of a thing like america was coming in and stepping on another um country's bounds in their war kind of a thing and um i'm not going to get into any politics about it but that's like the general feeling about mash is that the korean war was a awful and um dark time for the soldiers out there and um and multiple actors on the show were in the korean war but anyway so my blue heaven is several times throughout the show and whenever i hear it i just think of all those late nights where i was just in my in my bed with mash playing and um and there's a ridiculous version early in the show. There's like a little acapella harmonizing that they do when they're really drunk in their tent. That's that happens. And uh, visiting musicians that that are in some episodes that sing it. And so it has that that uh, that background to it for me. But there's also a time that I remember that I um, the only time that I was uh I don't know, called to do the area recitals that Liberty School of Music does. Um, they had just started requiring that everyone play a area recital where everyone of a specific instrument uh, gathers and uh, a select few have to perform something randomly. And um, mm -hmm. usually they're given uh, a fairly nice warning. I was uh, told that I was performing because, I don't know, someone must have like, dropped out of it and they needed somebody, and Spencer threw me in there uh, the night before. <laughs> and I didn't have something that was a solo performance uh, ready to go off the bat at that point. That was, that was pretty doggone early in um, 
and me really focusing on studying jazz and stuff. So I didn't really have a solo repertoire yet. And uh, I just drew out of my hat that, okay, I'm going to try to do my Blue Heaven and as a chord melody. And it was terrible. It really was. Um, I think I remember that because that was for one of those, um, those studio things they called it. Um, yeah. The, right? They call it area recitals or... Uh, and I know they started oh, saying studios. Oh, one of the studios. area recitals. Yeah. Okay. They, I, I don't know. They, well, they were really unclear now. about it. Yeah. It, it was weird. Well, they still have... They still have their aerial recitals, but then they have the studio things, which is just that just that professor's le- uh, students. Oh, in it. yeah, that's right. And the aerial recitals has has everybody from the, the, right. the uh, in, that instruments department. That's right. That makes sense. But uh, anyway, so um, when I told Spencer I was doing my Blue Heaven, I don't know why, because he never told me. I don't know if there's a story behind it or if it's simply just he. Uh, just the song itself. He doesn't like my Blue Heaven. And I was like, oh, huh. well, that's weird. Because I always I always loved it. It always made me happy because it uh, made me rem- uh, feel all nostalgic and stuff. And so I was determined to play it in a way that um, he would enjoy it. And um, so I got up there and I played it. I didn't play a solo or anything. I just played it from uh, start to finish as a chord melody. And... Um, and I wanted to be done with it. I didn't do any more work than that because I did that all the morning of, uh, from scratch. I'd never played it before that. Um, I'd never looked at the sheet music before that. I just picked it up that morning and figured out what I could and went and performed. And I was just not good at that sort of a thing yet. If I had to do it today, like literally before this podcast, I, um, I played it as a chord melody and I'm like, wow, I sucked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could have done it so much better than I could today. And it's amazing I, what difference a week will make. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it was but, more than yeah, a week, I, but... I remember I played it, and it was really awkward because I even knew at that point, like, I was disappointed in it, and um, and I was not looking forward to playing it, and I did, and I played what I could, and it's what I could figure out at the time of... This is how I, it, it's what I could do. It, like, I don't really have a reason to be embarrassed. Like, it, it, at that short of notice and not being able to work on it with Mr. Spencer at all, like, at least I got something out. Um, right. So at least there's that. And that was very early, like I said, and me being able to do things like that. So the fact that I found, figured out anything at all is probably uh, a relief. But anyway. Well, that's kind um, of the whole point of those recitals to push you beyond your comfort zone and your limits to make you learn something new true yeah i remember after i played it then um because i said before i played it that i was determined to um change spencer's mind on it but i wasn't sure if if my version uh that day would actually be able to pull it off and then afterwards then uh after that he probably wasn't he said like well i'm not sure if that one convinced me but i think with a little more work together maybe it has a shot maybe someday and and he smiled and I was really embarrassed, but, um, but I knew like I had a lot of work to do and, um, right. and, I, and I was determined. So immediately after that was done, him and I went into the next room, got a practice room and started to talk it out. And, um, and I realized how much I didn't understand about playing a chord melody and solo and looking back on it, he must've just been slapping his head of how this kid won't get it. 
Of course, I eventually did start to understand how chord melody was written. And I don't even know what I did. If you told me to play it the way that I did that day, I don't know what I did because now I just know how to play chord melodies. <laughs> I don't know how how I messed it up so much. It is very simple to pull off. And uh, I was playing it earlier. I'm like, you know, I'd actually record this. This sounds pretty cool. And maybe I will and send it to him and be like, how about this time? <laughs> yeah. Will it get you now? Yeah. Like, that, that, does it make you That's smile at least? Like, can I? And maybe I'll just like keep recording it in different styles and versions and sending it. <laughs> Can I get a smirk out of you or something? <laughs> I'll just keep That's on playing funny. it for the rest of my life until Spencer loves my blue heaven. <laughs> oh, gosh. That might not ever happen. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what it was. Like, may, like I said, there could be a story behind it or something that I don't know about. Right, but, right. Um, it seemed like he just doesn't actually like song itself which i can understand Mm. that like i don't like uh a lot of charlie parker's songs and it's not gonna um and even though i can appreciate someone performing it like i'm never really going to like donnelly that much even if i get it under my fingers someday i'm you're never gonna see it on one of my set lists you'd have to pay me a lot of money i would put it on a set list depending i would i would play it behind you if you wanted to play the melody but i mean it's it's well, one of those things where I'm like I'm not interested in performing it, kind of a thing. That's why I would put it on a set list, though, because for a bass player to play that is like mind-boggling. That's true. It's kind so of that's a, why I a would virtuoso sort of a thing at that point. Yeah, I would do it just to make a point. Um, yeah, I think with the bass, yeah. it that that does make sense because that would be very that would be a lot more difficult on bass than it would be on guitar. Because I quickly realized on guitar, I was like, I could definitely learn this if I wanted. to. Yeah. And I was getting it under my fingers, and I was just like, you know what? I don't like it. And so I just tossed it aside. I was like, right. I'm done with you. I'm going to work on other stuff because I don't like you. So goodbye. That's um, too funny. Because right, I assumed realized it wasn't that tough. Oh, uh, I wanted to say versions that I like. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I found one that was Robert Johnson and Billie Holiday. Um, it sounds real, real old. Interesting. You can barely hear Robert Johnson even playing. Um, Billie Holiday well, yeah, always sounds but... awesome. And uh, so that that was a that was a cool version. Um, uh, Glenn Miller, that that that's a nice version of it. And uh, Bing Crosby, which kind of has that uh, ballady kind of tone that um, that I'm used to. But in general, I would just say go and uh, watch Mash and find the versions there. The early seasons, there's a really hilarious version of it that um, <laughs> I'll never forget, and it's always in my mind when I play it because it is funny. <laughs> That's funny. I wouldn't have thought that one of our jazz standards would be the version we'd recommend would be on a TV show. Most of the, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, one of the reasons that I uh, got so interested in jazz is because of MASH. Because um, as I was learning new songs and stuff, I was like, I know all this music. Even right. though I didn't know the names, I didn't know the words, I knew like so many of the melodies. I knew how they went. I knew how they sounded, and um, so many of them were all just ingrained into my brain uh, because of watching MASH so much, because standards are left and right throughout the entire show. Um, right. All the background music is a bunch of standards. They sing a lot of standards during it. Um, it's all over the place, and it got so deep into my mind that, like, jazz standards and stuff it's like part of who i am so there's so many of these songs that it's just like automatic boom i know exactly what it is 
I know how it's right. supposed to sound, and it, it and it helps because I have a terrible ear as far as positions go. Like, um, I'm way off from perfect pitch or anything like that, and that's a weakness for me in position. But at least I have that within me, and uh, and other things that can back me up for the fact that my ear is dumb as dirt. <laughs> I find if you know enough theory, a lot of times you can make people think you have a better ear than you do. Yeah, I know that I'm not that weak of a musician from all of my nerdiness, but it does still make <laughs> me helps. mad when I'm like, oh, what, what chord's that supposed to be? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds yeah, cool, let's play something. Yeah, I think there's like work. this weird thing where it's like, I love dissonance and harsh sounds so much that uh, to a regular music musician that's like, oh, I know that that's a diminished chord because I, I only like the sound of triads. That's so different. That must be a diminished. To me, it's just like, sounds right to me. <laughs> yeah, right. It sounds awesome to me. So it, for me, it's a struggle because it's like, uh-oh, I like that. Uh, so if like someone's trying to mess mess with me, like, can you hear the flat nine in this? The answer is no, because I, uh, I, I like it. It doesn't sound harsh. <laughs> it sounds good. It doesn't sound different. Yeah, which kind of sucks. That's it makes funny. me feel bad that uh, I do some ear training with some of my students that love it, and they're better at it than I am because stupid ear. Oh well. Yeah, hey, it is what it is, right? Uh-huh. It's something you can train, but it's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, and I think my ear is better because I've been playing in the key of C and G for uh, every day for months and months now with working with kids. So I think. Uh, my ear's better than it is. Like now, I can um, if someone's playing, I can sing a note that's uh like if they're playing an E and the next note is a D, I can sing the D with literally no issue. <laughs> right. Um, and I I feel like a year ago, there's no chance I'd be able to do that. Like I would say the D or I'd try to sing the D and I'd pitch match the E instead. But now I know what the D is supposed to sound like and I can sing right. It. Um, well, so, having uh, to teach that, makes a big better. difference for that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you get yeah, so used to it, it that that it's kind of it takes time. I feel like by the time I'm sixty, I might have a good ear, but <laughs> don't test me if now. you can still hear at that point. Probably. <laughs> I teach drummers. Yeah, exactly. Let's see. All right, do we have time for another one, or are we about out of time? Ah, give another one. All right, so the last one is um, I I actually do have a little bit of a special connection to this one, kind of similar to yours, Matt, but not to that extent. So this one is called I Found a New Baby, which hmm. is a song written by Jack Palmer and Spencer Williams. Um, it was first recorded in 1926 by Clarence Williams' Blue Five. Um. And it became a jazz standard after that. Everybody's recorded it. Bing Crosby, um, Benny Goodman, Count Basie. Uh, the Benny Goodman one, before I get to my connection to this song, the Benny Goodman one is where Charlie Christensen played a solo on that one. Which, hmm. if you guys know anything about Benny Goodman, and uh, Benny Goodman was the band leader. Charles, um, Charlie Christian was the guitar player on that uh, with Benny Goodman. And that was one of the only big bands at the time to feature a guitar player. Really let one alone, of the only ones ever. Let alone a, um, an African-American. Right. In a, in yeah, a white exactly. Band. Yeah, at that point, that was even more unheard of. 
Mm-hmm. And um, this one here, he actually took a solo on, which he doesn't take a lot of solos. There's hardly any um, recordings of him playing solos, but when he did play solos, they were wonderful. Yeah. And uh, this is one of his most influential solos. It's very highly acclaimed by people. Um, so that's a good one to listen to. Listen to Benny Goodman's version of I Found a New Baby because you have Charlie Christian playing guitar on it. It's awesome. Um, but the reason this song is so special to me is kind of stupid. Um, so when I got my first car, um, my somebody, I think it was my parents, got me a CD set that had, it was Count Basie Orchestra and it had three CDs in there. And I'd put the CD in and I'd play it till it finished and I'd pop it out and put the other one in. Or sometimes I would just forget. And like at one point I forgot and I had, I think it was disc two of the set, I'd play every day for like six months. And so this song was like the second song on the track. And I don't know who sang it on that recording. Um, but every time that came on, it just made me happy. I don't know. It was, uh, and it's like, it's kind of silly because it's like, I just heard the song over and over and over again. But for some reason, it, um, it connected with me. And it's become a special song. Every time I hear it, I think of that. I think of driving in the car, listening to that song over and over again, if I could even hear it, because that car was such a piece of junk. It was super loud, and <laughs> the muffler fell off and everything. Oh, I but I do I remember, yeah, remember coming home from, um, I think it was the Florida trip with the jazz band, and it was like 2 o'clock in the morning or mm. 1 o'clock, something like that, and we are driving up the mountain to bring you back home, and the muffler falls off the car. Yep, in the pouring in the rain. rain. Yes. Oh my gosh. So then we just grabbed it and threw it in the back of the car and just drove up there without a muffler. Yep. Straight we piped it the whole way. Oh man. And then I actually had you drive me back because I didn't want to uh drive it without a muffler in the middle of campus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in the middle of the night without a muffler, because I was already I mean, I was late for curfew. It wouldn't have mattered because they would have I would have had a good excuse, but I just didn't want to deal with that. I just wanted to sneak in and not have them say a word to me. And I knew if I drove past the dorms with that thing, oh, it was never going to happen. But anyways, that's just another fun story. Um, That song is just, it's just a really good song. It's, um, it's really simple and it's kind of corny, just like a lot of those older 1920s style music is, it's corny compared to today's stuff, but I like it. It's not covered anywhere near as much as the other five that we talked about. Yeah. Um, but it's still a really good song, and I enjoy it. I think it's something that, if you haven't heard it, you should, just because it's fun. It's There's nothing really that special about it, just for some reason I have some sort of connection with it. <laughs> and it's my list, so I can make it how I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, My Blue Heaven, I wouldn't call it one of the best songs ever written, but it has a special place in right. my mind and heart. and brings back memories like i i probably would also like it there was a contention in my in my mind like i i decided on it simply because of the the background for my life but there's like lover come back to me it had to be you um uh west end blues which i'm surprised you didn't do i i would have bet all my money that you were going to mention that one okay so i was going to put west end blues on there but i changed my mind it got booted Um, (laughs) Well, the reason why I changed my mind is because we're, when we were talking about this list, originally I was going to do like 
we we kept going back and forth, but I was going to do like my five favorite from that period. And if that was the case, West End Blues would have been on there. Gotcha. But then we kind of shifted to be which which three would each of us say that you need to know if you haven't heard before. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, everybody knows West End Blues. Uh So since everybody's, I figure everybody in the jazz world has heard it. And if you haven't heard it, shame on you. I don't know what you're listening to. Um, So that's why I decided to leave that one off. Our professor's ringtone. It would go off. Oh my God. It would be that song. It's a good one. That's a special one. I mean, there's also like Stardust. Um, which we never really Stardust. played much ourselves, but um, it's no. still a really excellent song and a classic. But that that's kind of the reason that it didn't end up on there is because right. a lot of people that are interested in jazz are already familiar with that one. That one, right. I'm sure that you're already familiar with Sweet Georgia Brown, probably, and, um, and maybe Honeysuckle Rose. But yeah. uh, at the same time, if you haven't heard those and if you haven't had the uh, if you haven't heard the original recordings of Honeysuckle Rose by Fats Waller, then get on that because right you need to hear his plus i wanted to do songs that were more special to me than just stuff that Mm -hmm. i think is great piece of writing because like west end blues and basin street blues those are and stardust they're all amazing pieces of writing but i have no emotional connection to them right Right. so i thought it'd be more more engaging for people if we talk about if i talk about stuff that i just have emotional connections to yeah exactly like i think it in my opinion, there's no such thing as a bad song, really. Like if if you well. finish if you finish <laughs> the song and it really is a completed work of music, then that's awesome. Like good on you. Like as as a teacher that has literally sat down and harmonized uh, songs for my students that they've just kind of plunked out on a piano and then made a version of them to hand to them, and it's like you wrote a song. Right. Here you go. Um, and, and it, it means sound- something to the person who wrote it, which is what's really important. Because music, exactly, yes, yeah. we so do music. Even for though it living. might not sound so good, like I, I can't have a bad egg. Like, that's part of my philosophy of like when you, when you are learning how to improvise and things like that. There's no such thing as a bad solo. It's you can only get better at soloing. You can only get better at songwriting. Um, so yeah. there's these now. Once you're, of, what? Once you're a pro, you can be a, have a bad solo. But when you're starting out and you're sure. learning, I don't think there's really any such thing as that. Yeah, you can have a bad a bad time or just a song that it's more of like the artist might be a jerk. And I'm like, I don't really like their music <laughs> because I don't like listening to a butthole. <laughs> uh, uh, kind of like John Mayer. I don't really like listening to his music that much because I hate hearing him talk. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do like his album Continuum. That's fantastic. The rest of his stuff, it just makes me kind of cringe. but anyway like there's there's so many songs from back then and the other decades that we'll talk about that we might not mention or anything but they're still amazing songs and i might have poo-pooed all over bye bye blackbird but miles davis did fix it and i do use that with my students and it's a great one for students to play just because it's a legitimate standard um with a history behind it that is very easy for a child to learn compared to um, so many other options like Honeysuckle Rose or something that are more difficult for a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But it, and I, I like trying to work towards uh, a student learning um, legitimate songs and music for their own repertoire as soon as possible to get them away from the, uh, the teaching book songs that 
will give them no value in the future. Um, so that's one of the right. things. So using Bye Bye Blackbird, which is a very easy and extremely simple melody um, and very, very, very repetitive, um, I can teach them uh, about melodic patterns because it sequences itself a little bit. Um, it's very straightforward and helpful for learning a scale shape because it doesn't um, go too much away from itself. And mm -hmm. um, I kind of I like LOVE uh, love more for that because it's another yeah. easy standard that. But I actually, um, no pun intended, love that song. Yeah, there's just so many good stuff out there. Um, this list, we could have, we could talk for hours and hours and hours, and I think we kind of already have a little bit <laughs> about. This is going to be a doozy, that's for sure. Especially yeah, since we this... didn't have any internet this time. <laughs> oh, I know it's it's wonderful. Um, it's so much better this way. It'll make recording so or editing so much easier. Um, but anyways. This is where music is really fun, like especially for me. I know Matt is probably pretty similar for you. Getting to talk about the songs that we like and the things that we love about it, the, I love the theory and that stuff is just so fascinating. But this is like really, really fun for me. So we're gonna have to make ourselves stop talking because otherwise we'll just never end. <laughs> yeah, and you will be editing for a while, regardless of the good connection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'll be sitting here waiting for it to end. Like, oh my gosh, I listened. Shut I edited up. it like two hundred percent speed, but still, <laughs> still takes a while. But anyways, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to us ramble, and hopefully, you uh, learned something from this, and you'll listen to some of these songs and be inspired too. Because these songs, they mean something to us, and I hope they mean something to you too. Um, so special surprise. Well, I guess it's not really a surprise at this point. Um, we're going to be releasing these on YouTube now. So I've got the YouTube channel made. I'm trying, I'm slowly uploading back up, uploading all the previous episodes. And so we're going to start releasing these, I think on Thursdays is the plan for now. Well, that might change, but so we're going to do the podcast on Monday, then release the YouTube video on Thursday, at least for now, who knows? Um, so no matter where you're listening, whether it's through Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or uh, YouTube, go ahead and hit subscribe for us because that's what keeps it going. As more people that listen to it, the more we'll do. So smash subscribe, that like, like and comment. Yeah, smash the like button. <laughs> <laughs> we get to and, say um, that. <laughs> yeah, we do, finally. Don't hit the dislike button. We'll come and find you. <laughs> no, no, please don't. It'll hurt so bad. Every time you hit the dislike, I stab a puppy. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> oh, and leave a, leave a comment. Now it's easier. Just comment. Say something. Call us idiots. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, now you can comment on YouTube or send us an email or something. We want to hear from you guys. So we want to get feedback, whether it's positive or negative. And we want to continue to get better so we get more people listening. Because this is a lot of fun to make, but it'd be more fun if more people heard it. <laughs> now I just love the thought that like in a year or two we'll still be doing this and you'll go back through the uh the log on YouTube looking at some comments you'll get to this episode and you open it up and you just see a long list of comments saying hey idiots hey stupid yeah. hey dumb dumb and you're just like why do people hate us so much and you just forget that at the end of this episode I told everyone to call us idiots <laughs> you're just like, why do everyone hate us or you remember that it's YouTube and half the comments, more than half the comments on YouTube are negative just for the sake of being negative. Yeah, I'm but sure hey. we'll be hated because we're all old fogies that play jazz music. Well, we, we play jazz music, but we're not 
old. <laughs> we play music. It's not jazz. Don't call it jazz. Yeah. It's music. <laughs> okay, Duke. <laughs> All right. We're shutting up. Shutting up. Shutting All up. right. Editing. Awesome. Thank you, guys. <laughs> we will uh, we'll have this released soon enough. Well, why would I say that? This is already going to be out by the time you hear this. That's stupid. All talking right. to yourself now. I am talking to myself. What the heck? I'm supposed to be talking to our <laughs> listeners, man. <laughs> well, thanks for, for those listening, of you guys. That are in the past, listening to this episode as we're saying it. But anyway, <laughs> bye. We'll see you guys next week. Squee. <laughs>